And I mean, I love how like you could just like, oh, you know, I'm just ever so tired for a moment. I think I'll stop for an espresso. And you could like knock back like four or five espressos. Whereas if I had four or five espressos <laughs> in my normal life, the people around me would start to wonder. But in Italy, it was just like, well, of course you're going to need to pause and have an espresso. Yeah. Aren't you human? With candles, books, and wine carafes, albums filled with photographs, and rooms that echo tuneful laughs, I'm so happy I could die. Hey there, I am Steph Ruccio from Hearshare Productions, and in this episode of Geopat's Coffee, we will go to Australia, Vietnam, South Korea, China, Italy, and Canada with our globetrotting caffeinated guest, Erin Garnham. Erin and I met in Vietnam ages and ages ago when both of our coffee addictions were starting to hit a peak. It is absolutely thrilled to have her on the podcast to dig into the different parts of her coffee life, some that I knew and some that are new to me and some that are new to her, but you'll have to wait for that. Let's get straight to the conversation, shall we? Will I manage my defeats for a moment, for a moment? Thank you so much, Erin, for joining us for the Geopaths Coffee Podcast. Hey! <laughs> I was so excited to talk to you about coffee. But first of all, do you have anything to drink close to you right now? Right now, I'm drinking a increasingly warming glass of rosé. Oh, that works. We usually do a quick, annoyingly loud slurp at the beginning of the show. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. Okay, ready? I am definitely prepared to slurp this. <laughs> One, two, three. Slurp away. <laughs> that was an impressive slurp. Touche. Thank you. That's a big, bold glass. <laughs> Let's do a little bit of geography first, actually. Where are you from and where have you lived in the world? Just a quick overview. Sure. Okay. Um, well, I'm originally from Canada, Nova Scotia. A uh, place outside of Halifax called Cool Harbor, which is basically a suburb of Halifax. And in my early 20s, my husband and I moved to Asia. We started first in South Korea in a place called Incheon, which is just right next to Seoul. And did a couple of years there. Then we moved to Vietnam, where we were in Hanoi. Uh, discovered a good taste for coffee there. And we moved to Japan and then finally to China, where we've been since 2009, I think. Wow, has it been that long? It has. Oh, yeah, doing the math. It's been a while. And my, yeah, my coffee addiction started just before Vietnam, but it definitely kicked off there too. And that's where we met. Yay. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But you've also traveled a lot too. Not just where have you been, but where have you sought out coffee? And we'll go into more detail of it, but just as an overview first, where have you coffeeed it up globally? Like the first place that I really kind of thought about coffee is more than just, I don't want to say like a commodity, but you know, like a, you know, just a thing that you got with breakfast was when we first traveled to Australia. And that took me by complete surprise. And I have a very distinct memory of um, going into a cafe in Sydney right after we arrived. This was like, I want to say like 2005, 2006, I'm not sure which. And I went into a coffee shop and it looked like you know, like an independent coffee shop I'd see in Halifax, you know, nice espresso machine and, you know, chalkboard menu type place, lots of plants open to the street. And, um, but none of the words on the menu looked anything like what I was, <laughs> you know, first of all, like the word coffee wasn't up there. 
I think the word espresso is probably there for sure, but I didn't really want an espresso. There were words like long black and or short black and like long white. And I was like, oh man, like I am really, because I, you know, we had just come from South Korea and I had been like super, super excited to go to a place where I could communicate with the barista in English. So I was so surprised that it couldn't happen in Australia. So I get to the front of the queue and the lady's like, okay, uh, what would you like? And um, I said, well, to be honest, I'm not really sure. Like I can describe the cup of coffee I want to drink and then maybe you can tell me what you would call that. And she just looked at me like, okay, all right, American, right? And so I said, like, I would like, you know, a fairly strong, but at the same time, quite a lot of water coffee and she's like oh you definitely want like a long what we call a long black and so that was my first experience with Australian coffee culture which I think we reached the apex of when we got to Melbourne and I still think it's the finest cup of coffee I had anywhere and to my great regret I do not know like what the name of the place was but it was somewhere somewhere by the beach that does not help at all when you're talking about them. <laughs> oh, I, oh, this is terrible there's like there's like someone yelling at their computer right now uh, somewhere <laughs> listening to this podcast. It was one of those streets where they have all the little cafes with the cake. So I'll look it up later. I'll Google it. We need that that guy like on Joe Rogan who like Googles everything for him while people are talking. <laughs> no worries. We'll put it in the show notes later. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I was I was surprised by that too. And it was actually China is where I got used to Australian coffee because there were so in Shanghai there were so many Australian coffee shops and I got obsessed with flat whites and and experimented with other things, but it, I yeah. Uh, for the listeners, sorry, Aaron, just a second. For the listeners, you can look back at the episode with Bianca. She is from and in Melbourne right now, and she enlightened us on some of her favorite places there and some of the drinks that I haven't even had yet. So yeah, I get that. Australia, shocking, but impressive. Where else have you coffeeed it up? Well, of uh, St. Kilda. There you go. I've just Googled it. Somewhere in St. Kilda. So obviously, Vietnam. Uh, was a great place to drink coffee. Um, just love the smell of like when they would roast the coffee, which doesn't really smell like coffee, like coffee being brewed, but that kind of burny, caramelly, um, hot smell that you could get in the afternoon on the streets when you're driving around and, and everything's open to the streets there, obviously. And having all of the really great kind of iced Vietnamese coffees. And it was, I mean, you remember because you lived there, but like you could get like a basic, very sweet one at the Highland chain. But then you could also go for like the touristy thing um, at the Egg Coffee Cafe, the great view over the lake. My favorite when we lived there was Cafe Mai. And it was like really expensive coffee. Like if you bought it by the uh, the gin, I forget what that is, but you know, like a half kilo of it was like 180,000 dong or 200,000 dong, which is quite quite a lot, right? But uh, totally worth every penny. Amazing, amazing. Like they yeah. had a whole range yeah. of different prices and different qualities and the top stuff was just amazing. Well, that's how you know, like you're in a good place, right? Like, you know, there's weights, there's, there's like vast quantities available for purchase, you know, and there's like a, a range of things that you might purchase. Yeah. And I mean, we would occasionally stop for like an actual drip coffee there, but I usually just brought it home and had it um, because my favorite way to drink coffee is black with a pour over. And I don't even remember when I started doing that probably out of pure practicality in, um, 
either Korea or Vietnam, because I, I had one of these, like, I don't know what you call them, but, you know, they're a filter holder that you just stick on the top of the cup. Yeah, the, the cone thingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't even know. That and an electric kettle will get you through anything, as far as I'm concerned. Like, I remember when we moved to South Korea, like, going to get, and the main coffee culture when they, we arrived there in 2002, which I know has evolved to probably, you know, some extreme level. But when we got there, people were still spending, like, 5000 on a, basically you're renting the spot for the afternoon, not the coffee itself. So it would be like a little packet of instant yeah. coffee. Maxim, Maxim brand, I think it was called. Oh. And you get like a little paper cup or, you know, and it was like three in one, the three in one stuff, you know, where it's got the sugar and the milk already in it. Yeah, Evan talks about this. He talks about, do you like it, the red or the yellow one or like something like the color of the packet yes, is yeah, how people yeah, decided yeah, what they wanted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And there would be cafes that like would, you know, like you'd go there and because you were just there to hang out on the sofa with your friends or whatever, the actual quality of coffee wasn't, you know, uh, that important. So it was instant. But I mean, I think Starbucks started, I mean, it just, it was, it must have been a fairly recent arrival when we moved there in 2002, because we had to go like, probably six subway stations away to find a Starbucks. And that was like the place to find the most obvious reproduction of what I was, you know, calling coffee back then, right? Which was like brewed, filter, what the British call filter coffee. <laughs> <laughs> what years were you guys in Japan again? I forget. Was that 2010 or that was... I remember Obama being elected when I was there and the financial crisis happening. So it must have been like the tail, yeah, the tail end of 2008, 2009, no, yeah, 2007 to 2009, because we moved here in September, August 2009. So, yeah, there you go. So that was that was before Japan got really good at, at coffee, because their roasteries now are crazy amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I don't recall drinking bag. Like, I mean, so like anywhere, like anything in Japan, you'll always find in a small neighborhood, someone who went somewhere and lived in the apex of whatever industry they've decided to, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're a glass blower. So they went to Venice for like 10 years, or maybe they're a, um, you know, a patisserie maker. So they went to Paris and studied under, you know, so there was coffee <laughs> to that. <laughs> you could get a decent cup of like espresso, you know, the, what I think of as leaf coffee, you know what I mean? Like it's like espresso with like milk poured into it and there's a pattern on top and it's inevitably a leaf I find in Instagram. So that, I think you could find, like, you could seek that out. I don't think that we had that with any kind of regularity. But um, I know, like, you know, you could find anything in Tokyo if you looked. Yeah, it's changed a ton. We were there last year briefly. And we just literally typed in coffee and hit return. Granted, we were in Shinjuku area. But still, there were a ton of specialty places. So we located a neighborhood that had a few nearby in case some of them were too busy because we're impatient people. Yeah. Well, and plus in Japan, sometimes you can just never sit down. Yeah. Yeah. But it was amazing how many <laughs> like specialty roasters, not just a random coffee shop, like the the housewife coffee shops where they're just inside smoking all day and just sitting in that one place. It wasn't like yeah, that. It was yeah, like yeah, specialty yeah. roasteries where you could see them roasting while everybody else was like partaking of the goods. It was just, it was amazing. I love Japan for that. Just, I love yeah. it. Like, it's just so very Japan, you know, like we're going to do this one thing. We're going to do it so well. Exactly. You'll travel like <laughs> you'll travel an hour on a train to come to the place where I do this. 
if it's there, it, it is done well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Or they don't do it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I find that to be true. So those are the places that you've lived and traveled. Australia was travel. But were there, you, you also spent quite a bit of time in Italy. What was your reaction to the coffee there? Well, that's interesting. I didn't get a sense that people went in for like that kind of bespoke Australian, Japanese, you know, niche roaster experience, which is not to say that there was not good coffee. So we really enjoyed uh, of the Italian coffee that we drank, um, kind of the price the convenience I like like you could walk into these beautiful I remember stopping in I wanted to call it Bourgogne but that's the wrong word uh Bologna there you go in Bologna we went and we were just wandering around we were just there for a day and somewhere in the market right off the square uh there was this beautiful marble with like a nickel bar like gorgeous like chrome machine I don't know like it was beautiful it's like something out of a movie and and espresso was one euro for everybody and it was a perfectly delicious espresso. Like there's nothing, I mean, like I like good coffee, but I'm also not what I think is, uh, you know, if, if the coffee is freshly roasted and ground and brewed, I'm pretty much open to it in all of its, its forms. So I was very happy to, to have a nice quick cup of coffee in those surroundings where it was obviously so beautiful. And I mean, I love how like you could just like, oh, you know, I'm just ever so tired for a moment. I think I'll stop for an espresso. And you could like knock back like four or five espressos. And I don't think anyone would have got, whereas if I had four or five espressos <laughs> in my normal life, the people around me would start to wonder. But in Italy, it was just like, well, of course you're going to need to pause and have an espresso. Yeah. Aren't you human? That's what you do. So I, I love that very much about the, the coffee in Italy. Uh, we only went to one roaster and probably just because of, you know, like it was our first time in Italy. So we're like, let's go see the paintings. So maybe the, a future trip can be visiting the roasters and things. But we were in Venice right around New Year. And there was um, a roaster that is in the Canareggio district. And we stopped there and got a coffee right along one of the canals. And it was really exceptionally delicious. You know, and, and quite a lot of it's just like when something is freshly roasted, you can really taste it. The crema is kind of like thick and luscious and the coffee is like, you know, it's not too acid, but there's enough acidity there that it's interesting to drink. And they had several different beans on the menu. So Peter and I, my husband and I got a choice and we kind of, you know, tasted our way around the espressos, which was probably very touristy to do. But nevertheless, you know, you're only in Venice for the first time once, right? So we're like, whatever, we're clearly tourists. <laughs> <laughs> We're clearly, nobody's, you know, mistaking us for locals or whatever. One thing I liked about traveling to Italy in the winter was that, yeah, you can just reliably get a nice, as long as you want espresso or um, a cappuccino before lunch. Looking for a long black, I think, I didn't even bother because it's not something I don't think I would have found. And if I'd found it, I wouldn't have been happy with it, so... Very true. Well, I was just obsessing about the cappuccinos because I couldn't believe. I mean, we went from Shanghai to, to Rome and then back. And <laughs> it was like, four, depending on the place in Shanghai, the equivalent of what, four or five dollars to Rome, yeah. where 90% of the places, if not 95%, were like one euro per cappuccino. And granted, it wasn't as big, but it was more lush. Like the milk was nicer, the coffee was service, better. you know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This country deserves to be properly caffeinated. Hey, 
Hey, hey, Steph from Here Share Productions popping in. I want to tell you something that's happening with the Geopats podcasts. And that's not like the sip at the beginning of the episode. That is a very excited, uh, elongated S sound that I just did because Geopats podcast, as you may have noticed, has grown into many different podcasts. We've broken all of the shows from Geopats podcast out into their own creations. Thus, Geopats Coffee. If you literally go into your podcast app and type in Geopets with an S, hit enter, you'll see all of the selections available currently. We did this to bring the podcast to their next level. That does include upgrades in our equipment and so much more. And what better way to ask for your support than to ask you to buy me a coffee? If you like what you hear on the Geopets Coffee podcast, I would gladly appreciate going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Geopats, G-E-O-P-A-T-S. You can buy just a one-off coffee. Thank you very much. Or you can support us monthly by doing a recurring coffee. Let's get back to Aaron Garnham. Before I use a pour over. And um, when I travel, I usually bring that with me because it's so light. It's just a little plastic thing and some filters and some ground coffee so that my first cup of coffee in the morning can be like a long coffee like I'm, I'm used to. And then, you know, as the day goes on, you kind of opportunistically take whatever coffee comes into your path when you're traveling. I think I think it's important to be open to the local coffee culture and not be too hung up on what you consider to be the cup of coffee you want, you know. For sure, for sure. And it, you bring coffee back with you when you find good stuff on vacation, right? Usually, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a product I, um, especially if I like it, and definitely if it's fresh roasted. It's a good memory, and it's light, usually. And it makes your clothes smell really good. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So have you seen any surprising things done with coffee anywhere that you've had it? Yeah, I mean, the obvious one that comes to mind is the egg coffee in Vietnam which I'm still not quite sure how they do, but I, I assume they like beat the uh, egg white with a coffee syrup to get it all foamy and thick. It's a bit like, I don't know, have you ever talked about it on your program before? Uh, not very much, but we actually, at the beginning of quarantine, were a little bored with the stuff we had in the house. So we actually YouTubed it and we made it. <laughs> it's a little more grueling than I thought. My sense of just like from cooking and knowing what that top layer tastes like, it's almost like they make a boiled icing with it. Like they have to like whip up egg whites and pour a hot syrup into it. I don't know. That's what it tastes like to me anyway. I'm not sure how they actually do it in the cafes in Vietnam, but the way that I was, that we saw it on the YouTube channels we were looking at, the huge portion of it was just the whipping part. You just had to whip it for forever. So of course people had, uh, what are those things called? Those, the machines that you use to whip stuff? KitchenAid. Yeah, they use like they a, use machines, yeah. but we had forks and everything was closed, so we oh couldn't God, exactly yeah. go buy anything else. Yeah. So we just sat there, like my my hand seriously hurt. That is such a quarantine project. It really was. I was like, we have the time. <laughs> Let's yeah. do this. There's no excuse for us not to recreate the egg coffee of Hanoi. Right? We're not going to play a game of Uno or anything. That, God, that's, no, not that's not happening. That's not happening. We're going to yeah. recreate the egg coffee of Hanoi. Yeah. But we did keep it simple. I don't remember putting much more other than the the egg, the coffee. Although, wait, a lot of the recipes we had said to use instant coffee and we didn't have instant coffee around us. We had just ground coffee. So I used that. So I, we cheated yeah. a little bit and there might have been a third component that we didn't have. So it wasn't perfect, but it definitely did come up creamy, even just with hand whipping with a fork. Well, I urge your listeners to seek out these videos and see what we're talking about, because it, it is, I mean, it's, 
I don't know. It, it, it's halfway between a cappuccino and a Vietnamese coffee, isn't it? Like, yeah. it has that thick, foamy layer, but it's sweet because it's sweetened somehow. And then that hot, strong coffee beneath. Oh, it's really yummy. It is. It definitely is. And if I'm, I'm slightly lactose intolerant, so I don't have milky coffee as often as I would like. And having that creaminess mm. from the egg was beautiful because I got that yeah. creaminess without the after effects. So yeah, definitely egg yeah. coffee. I guess the other horrible thing that I could describe as being, you know, interestingly done to coffee is, you know, the classic Canadian coffee, which I mean, I haven't really touched on, but um, it would be kind of immoral of me being Canadian and to talk <laughs> about coffee without not discussing Tim Hortons, which is, oh, right. I mean, less, less and less these days, a national icon. Um, it got bought out a couple of years ago by some international conglomerate and everyone's sworn that it's gone downhill ever since. I don't know if that's kind of convenient nationalism or what, but I'm increasingly less impressed with it when I go back. But yeah, the, the classic double, double of Canadian proletariat lore, <laughs> like every, every working person in Canada, you know, you get, it's like, again, as the British say, filter coffee. Um, and it's kind of like a very strong, bitter coffee. And I drink coffee uh, black because I don't drink milk. And it's not a coffee you want to drink black. Like they roast it so that it still tastes like coffee after you add a quarter cup of cream and a quarter cup of sugar to it, Whoa. which is what most Canadians yeah. do with their double doubles. It's like two big tablespoons of sugar and you know, you don't even measure out the milk. There's like a milk machine when you work at these coffee shops. Yeah. Cause I, I worked at a coffee shop and I worked at a couple of coffee shops. In oh, college, actually pre coffee Renaissance. So uh, not that interesting. Either. But um, yeah, there's a milk machine that you basically put these giant bags of milk in and they have timed pulses of milk wow. that go into the coffee. So you can do it fast. <laughs> so the default is to have like almost more milk than coffee. <laughs> Yeah, or I would say like a good third of the cup is it's not even milk, it's cream, which is like, you know, you want to know why everyone's so unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, you have to, if you specialize, like if you say a double-double, you're getting cream. You're getting coffee cream. It's like 10% or whatever. Is it actually cream cream or is it like the sub cream substitute stuff? No, no, it's cream. Like it's coffee cream. So so it's like a 10% milk fat, I think. I don't know. I have to look it up or 12% milk fat. But it is dairy. Now that was like... At the turn of the 21st century, <laughs> low those 20 years ago when I worked there. These days, I'm sure you can get almonds, milk, and, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, but that was definitely the coffee experience that I grew up with. They opened Tim Hortons in Shanghai before we left. Have you been to them? I do have it here. I know, of course I have, because my son really wanted, I mean, the other main draw of Tim Hortons is its fried dough donuts products, which... Haven't, haven't been good since I was like 12, but they're not good in Canada now because they're frozen and kind of centrally baked. And they're not particularly good in China either because I don't, I don't really know why they're not good here, but they're not at all the same. They're mostly yeast, but they leave them kind of sitting out for a while. So, you know, a good yeast donut has to be like Krispy Kreme, like right off the press, right? But the coffee is definitely, the, the Tim Hortons coffee that I've tasted in China is better than the Tim Hortons coffee available in Canada. And it could just be a different supplier. It could be exactly the same supplier, except they brewed it fresh instead of me having it kind of burnt from the back of the urn. Who knows? Right. So many different things. Could be the water. I mean, so many different factors. It's a fairly standardized product, but nevertheless, a lot of things can 
can interfere with it. Uh, freshness just makes so much of a difference, doesn't it? It really does. We had a grinder in a few places, but when we were in Shanghai, for sure, we had a, like a mini grinder at home. And so we would grind mm -hmm. the beans before we, you know, filtered it. And now we don't, and we're trying not to buy too much stuff till we're settled, settled here. And so we have them sure. grind the entire bag and you can tell, you can yeah. tell the difference. Yeah. It's, by the time we get to the end of the bag, it's like, it's still good, but it's not as good. It's not as punchy. I don't know, I lack of vocabulary, but yeah, we even switched because we got sick of replacing the kind of tabletop grinders we switched to a burr grinder and I yes. love it. Um, yeah. So you just drop the top in and we got gifted with a, an espresso maker recently from somebody who's leaving. So, cause there's a bit of a mass exodus. Here right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we even got a juicer out of the bargain, but yeah, so many things, all the things, but yeah, look, I love my, my drop burr grinder and um, my fresh coffee. Now what we normally drink here is, and I feel almost embarrassed for admitting this on a coffee podcast, but we get the big bags of Starbucks, the, the kind that you get at Costco, like the one kilo or whatever. Uh, my favorite is the French roast, which is actually pretty hard to buy at a, a, a Starbucks here because they, most people like a blonde roast. I think it's very, very uh, much the fashion these days to like a high acid medium or light roast to taste the kind of varietal flavors. But you know, being a hard child of the 90s, I um, really like the, <laughs> I like a coffee that slaps you upside the face in the morning. <laughs> and uh, I mean, like for my, for my morning brew, you know, like the rest of the day, if I'm in a nice cafe somewhere, I can appreciate the subtle notes of a, a varietal. But yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not, some people are very kind of anti-Starbucks. I kind of look at it as like a kind of a, haven to get a cup of brewed coffee in the rest of the world sometimes like if that's what you want they reliably have it i have no problem with starbucks if there's a lot of places around it that have more specialty stuff or have like more interesting food selection or something like that i'll go there but you know what you're getting at starbucks it the base exactly. quality is decent like you just you're, and you know you're going to have air conditioning or heating depending on what you need at the time. I mean, it's going to be a comfortable sitting environment, blah, blah, blah. A bathroom. I, I remember going there in Manhattan because I'm like, well, um, I need a place that has a toilet. So I'll be going to stay, even though that I know like in, in the village in Manhattan, there's like a trillion better coffees to be had. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'm not guaranteed a toilet. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So that, that, that's our kind of basic group. But uh, were you here when the Starbucks roastery opened? Cause that yeah. actually is an interesting place to try some varietals because that's not, I mean, certainly where I am in Suzhou, you can't, there's not a lot of interesting coffee. Um, that Renaissance hasn't arrived here. They, yeah, they, they opened a few months before we left, I think. And I went in there once at the very beginning on like a Monday morning when there wasn't much of a line. And then every other time I walked by, there was a giant line and I was like, I don't need to go back. <laughs> but that place is massive. But at the time when they opened, they were the biggest Starbucks in the world. But who knows what's happened wow. since then? Because people seem to be doing like bigger, bigger, bigger stuff. Yeah, we have one here. Um a smaller roastery here because we had a large shopping center open up. And so it is nice. I think it's probably the only place um, within median distance that I can go and get a varietal coffee brewed in a pour over. That's my best option. Now you keep saying varietal coffee. What does that mean? Like, I mean, like a place where, so it's got an origin, so it's not like a blend. Ah. So French roast, obviously, it's just like a roast, right? 
but um, a variety like you know, I mean, I like how much do I know to to buy their marketing, whatever. But a varietal would be like when you say, okay, this coffee's all from Costa Rica or whatever. This gotcha. coffee's all from Kenya or like a single origin. I think a single origin one has to be like probably from one particular producer. I think I'm not sure of the terminology myself. No, me neither. If, you know, if I want to try a Rwandan coffee or an Ethiopian coffee, then you know, that's pretty much the only place I'm going to find around close to me now. And I do really like, like, I really like the opportunity to try uh, African coffees. I really, really like whenever I see them, if they cross my path, I'm there. I'm there for them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. We went back to Japan last year and we went to Kaldi, which is mm. like, like kind of like an international food store, but they happen to have a pretty big coffee selection and we stocked up on so much of their coffee. Yeah, I love going to Kaldi Coffee. They have a beautiful range so many. from around the world. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're all there. And you can see how recently they've been roasted because the beans are there. So, I mean, that always has a an influence on my choice. Like, if I go for a pour over, I, I always choose the shiniest beans. For sure. For sure. <laughs> the shiniest beans. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, we had this guest on earlier in the podcast who came, I don't know if she came up or she was quoting somebody else, but she said, the peak coffee experience. And she, she wanted us to ask future guests what their peak coffee experience. It can be like an experience that was repeated in a place or it can be that one moment in that one place with that one coffee that will never leave you. What's your peak coffee experience? Oh, wow. I think I have two, like one from travel and like one from every day. My peak travel one would probably be the first time I tried a Vietnamese coffee in Vietnam, which would, if I think about it, would probably be like at a tourist place in the old quarter in Hanoi. So we were there on holiday in 2003 when we were living in South Korea, but we went there. Just the first time like that iced kind of, I mean, it's so different uh, from European roast coffee. You yeah. know, it hits your mouth and you're like, whoa, that is, I was <laughs> not expecting that, you know? And Peter, my husband would say like, even better would be on like a motorcycle trip when you roll up to a place that, you know, serves just beer, fruit juice and coffee and like the coffee. I remember having a coffee there once, like on the side of a road and I by accident dropped a drop of it on the skirt I was wearing and I just never got the coffee stain out because it was that rich and that dark <laughs> and that kind of <laughs> the titration or whatever was so <laughs> high ratio that it was just never coming out I have never had a coffee that that I characterize as too strong for me I just really like it so that your tongue curls my daily kind of peak coffee probably happens like once every 10 days or so. So normally I drink a lot of coffee, like a, like probably an unhealthy <laughs> amount of coffee to, to fend off other addictions, right? Like it replaces pretty much anything else I'd rather be doing, you know, eating muffins or smoking or whatever. I've never been a smoker, but like if I didn't have coffee, I probably would be. So I take it like from a Chinese perspective, like I'm just probably just killing myself every time. <laughs> I hope it's not hot, pure hot water. It's it's deadly. I take in a flask of coffee and it's about a 500 ml flask. And I get my IE. So my, the, the lady that lives with us, our housekeeper and nanny, she makes coffee and breakfast in the morning. Cause I usually am up at five and I'm into work by six, six 30. So I don't eat first. I just grab a flask of coffee and go. And so like once every 10 days, she gets just the ratio of water to coffee 
absolutely perfect. And you open the coffee flask and like, you know, you know, right away when the smell hits you, you're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be really good. And you're just the right amount of dehydrated, just the right <laughs> amount of sleep. <laughs> and I usually because like, you know, I, I get to I get to work that early so I can get some work done before people start showing up. And so like I pour it out into a cup. I usually try and warm the cup first so I don't lose any heat. I mean, I don't know about other places, but like I like my coffee kind of strong and lots of water uh, and in a tall, very narrow cup so you don't lose a lot of heat quickly. So I have like one coffee cup that I, and like when I look around for coffee cups, I always look for this one kind of cup that has to be quite certainly taller than it is wide to keep the heat in it. And even like, I'm, I didn't realize how picky I was about coffee. It has to be the right kind of porcelain. And I don't even know, like, I don't know enough about it, but I know that if I, if I lift something up and it's too light, I'm like, oh no, that's no good for a coffee cup. It has to be like quite heavy ceramic. I don't know. Cause I guess it holds the heat better. And then I just kind of pour the coffee into that cup and I have it as I'm doing my emails and my, you know, sorting out my lesson planning and that sort of thing for the first thing in the morning. And that is peak, like just me sitting in my classroom, that perfect ratio of water to bean, it's perfect temperature. And you just like, okay, it doesn't matter what else happens today. Uh, this was a good moment. I'm leaning into this moment <sighs> with everything I can until the people show up and the people hit. And I mean, I'll probably have like another three cups of coffee after that, like after I finish that flask. I'll have like at, at recess at like 1030, I'll go and do like a, an espresso in the teacher's room and I'll probably fill up because they have kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like, you know, a big urn of like this world's saddest coffee that can be found in any workplace <laughs> wherever. Like. And I always joke like, you know, and I work in a British school, so like the, the, the coffee to to water ratio is always more like the person has been making tea. Like I have been known to pour that free coffee. I shouldn't turn my nose up at it. You know, somebody's making me a free cup of pot of coffee in the morning, but then I'll shoot an espresso into it. So that it has some flavor. Cause they have one of those, um, it's not an espresso maker. I make it sound better than it is. It's one of those, like a Nespresso. They're quite popular in Europe. They take yeah. the pods and it's, you know, it's not yeah. as bad as a Keurig. But it's not as good as like a proper espresso. Settling coffee. It's like there's nothing else. It's this or a warm glass of water. So I'm going to take this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that gets me through to lunch. And that's when I usually switch to tea so I can sleep at night. Can you think of any other coffee experiences that you've had anywhere in the world that stick out to you? The most recent one that I remember, because like for me, coffee and travel are so wrapped up in each other it's been really hard to not be able to travel. Cause like, I always love that feeling of getting up in the morning in a new place, you know, cause where I am, I inevitably seem to arrive late at night and then you get into bed and then you wake up. And then the first thing you do for me anyways, have a cup of coffee in my new place. Right. You look out over everything and you're like, Oh wow, look at this place. I haven't been here yet. So it's been kind of sad because we would normally be traveling in the summer. And one thing that we often do in Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia, our home province has quite a lot of independent roasteries as well. And we love to go to, it's actually a UNESCO World Heritage um, town and they have a roaster there. And I love their French roast. It's one of the few places that actually still makes a French roast, actually. They're kind of like inured to fashion <laughs> and they make it. And 
It's called Olala. That's the name of the, the, I forget the name of the roaster. It's called Little Whale or something like that. And so normally I'd be coming back like with a suitcase full of Nova Scotian roasted coffee, which is predictably strong. And not having this this summer is kind of sad. But the best memory I have in the most recent time is, yeah, sitting on that canal in Venice, having this, it was right outside the Jewish, the old Jewish ghetto. And at the coffee maker, the roastery name is Ghetto. The the brand, the coffee roast that I bought, the uh, roaster's name is, I'm going to butcher the Italian, Torrefazione Canareggio. And uh, just sitting on the canal and drinking that coffee with that beautiful crema. Ah, can't beat that. But keeping in mind that we do talk to people from all over the place about the different places they have coffee, what are some questions or what are some things you'd like to know that we can ask future guests? I would love to know more about, like I was saying before, uh, you know, like I like to show up for an African coffee. I would love to hear stories of people who've drunk coffee in Africa and production, coffee production in Africa, and just hear about all those amazing coffees that are coming out of places like Rwanda and Ethiopia Kenya and what it's like there. I mean, I can't imagine it's anything like drinking coffee here in Asia. How do they drink it? What does it look like? How do you order it? Where do you find it? Is it like a breakfast thing? Like I I know nothing about it. So that would be cool. Like I see stuff on YouTube because I'm an idiot and I'll follow anything the algorithm gives me. But (laughs) 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 what you type in one coffee video, there you go. It's like five weeks worth right there. Thank you to our guest, Aaron Garnham. This podcast was produced by yours truly, Hearshare Productions. If you need help with any of your podcasting needs, please do contact us. Also, thank you to Damon Castillo for the music that he graciously lets us use in all of the Geopets podcasts. In fact, the full song that you've been hearing snippets of in this entire episode is coming at you right after I say his name. Damon Castillo, Damon Castillo. Dot com. The song in today's episode is I'm So Happy I Could Die off the Mess of Me album. Enjoy! If there is a man to be, strum a chord and sing to me That there will be another time, a time for you and I with candles, books, and wine carafes Albums filled with photographs And rooms that echo tuneful laughs I'm so happy I could die I could die, I could die Someday I won't have to try Until I do, I think of you I'm so happy I could die Days of trains and coffee spoons Lights under exotic moons Lazy morning hotel rooms Well, a time for you and I And empty bottles of champagne Girls upon a window pane A cocktail dress, a necklace chain I'm so happy I could die I could die, I could die One day I won't have to try Until I do, I think of you I'm so happy I could die And through half-deserted streets And half-hearted retreats Will I manage my defeats For a moment For a moment I think of you Oh
home to build a life and more With trips made to the hardware store And dances on the kitchen floor Well, a time for you and I Working minds and broken hearts Collaborate the greatest arts And thunder through the empty parts But still I wonder why Wonder why, I wonder why I wonder why we have to die Until I do, I think of you I'm so happy I could die I could die, I could die One day I won't have to try Until I do, I think of you, a star to light the sky. Until I do, I'll think of you, a light to grace my eye. Until I do, I think of you, I'm so happy I could die.